entered the Paracast with your hosts Gene Steinberg and David Bietley. You know, we get lots of crazy letters, and just the past weekend, we got a letter from somebody called us knuckleheads. Four of us knuckleheads. And who are the four knuckleheads? Myself, Gene Steinberg, my co-host on the Powercast, David Bietney, and of course, UFO researchers Jeff Ritzman and Royce Myers, the third of UFOWatchdog.com. So we are all considered knuckleheads, according to this one particular person. So I I think now we should have a UFO roundtable where we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly in the UFO field. And maybe we should start with the ugly. No. Now, let's actually step back and let's recognize the fact that in a time in history when there's so much information available via technology, people still can't think for themselves. We're at a point in history when it would appear that people still appear to need other people to think for them. And this is a very dangerous trend that we see throughout the world, especially that the four of us are in the United States. We see this in terms of our political thinking. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Nobody wants to actually attempt to understand things. People just want to believe. And the four of us have expressed doubts about a specific UFO hoax, a longstanding case that clearly is designed to feed the ego of a person who apparently all of his life wanted to have his ego fed by anybody who would pay him the time of day and at this point the fact that we are questioning this somehow makes us out to be knuckleheads and i say consider the source well think of it this way that person who started that entire movement is getting seven percent of the income of his supporters Hmm. Is, is that not a cult what exactly is a cult and we've called this thing a cult And these people who we accuse of belonging to a cult tell us that we simply don't understand that it's all about beauty and brothership. And oh, by the way, don't look behind this curtain. Again, this is exactly like the political discourse going on in this country, where you're told to support the troops, support your government, and oh, by the way, don't look behind this fiscal fiscal drapery here, because behind it lies the financial ruin of the United States. Just don't look there. Don't care about it yet. It'll be someone else's problem. Now, I'm not trying to equate the current political situation and the devastation that we're looking at long term with this silly hoax, this nonsense that for some reason keeps perpetuating itself. But I do suggest that ignorance is what allows these things to not only occur, but to perpetuate themselves. And it's ignorance that is really, truly the most dangerous thing in our world today. Ignorance about the realities of the UFO situation. There are a small group of people, and I'd like to think that the four of us are part of this group, that is trying to approach this topic with some thoughtfulness, with some intelligence, and best of all, with some integrity. And, you know, I was wondering about, on the Paracast forums, there's been a tremendous amount of discussion about this nonsense, and the cult members of this cult keep coming on and saying, you guys just don't want to consider the possibilities. It's amazing. They, they come on and they call us names, they attack us, and all we say is, hey, answer some simple questions, and they won't do it because it's about their belief systems. They don't want to understand UFOs. They don't even want to understand the Meyer case. They just want to believe in it without any questions. That's sad. 
Gentlemen, let's... It got real quiet out there. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid to chime in. Yeah, chime in, huh? You know, well, it's, it's yeah. one of those things, David, where it, it amazes me and it never ceases to amaze me that you can put in front of these people every reason why not for this case. You can show them duplicated photographs, which I've done. You can go and show them where their their media rep has deliberately misquoted people mm-hmm. who may have said something as benign as, well, the photos happen to look good, but, and, of course, you don't get the rest of the statement. You know, it's, 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 it's concocted to be deliberately misleading. You try to point these out to these people, these, these circumstances, and, it's almost like, well, they, they don't want to hear it. It's a belief system. This is not a exactly. This is not a scientific thing for them. This is not a believability or a credibility thing. This is a belief system. Correct. And this is the only reason that we get attacked so viciously for for what we stand up and say about this case. I mean, you know, when I started talking about it years ago, nobody was even really paying attention. And when Michael Horn came on the scene, all of a sudden, you know, this is the combatant. You know, this is the guy who's going to go in the trenches and do the dirty work of dealing with skeptics and uh you know and me and him have gone round and round for years uh you know the guy never ceases to amaze me as far as the lengths that he will go to to take whatever you happen to say twist it up so that it supports his point and then then lay that into a, a an elongated argument, but that by the time anybody gets done reading it, they don't know what the hell's which way is up, you know. Well, I think um, maybe this would be a good time for us to show which way is up, and point to these various arguments that are made, and go from A to B to C. Because the problem here is yeah. a lot of people listening to the show have heard the contradictory claims. Some people are new and never heard of any of this stuff, whatever, and they see reports of the Billy Meyer situation. They might have even seen that DVD with Dan Aykroyd where the Billy Meyer photo is shown like 26 times during the course of this video over and over again and they've got to be told, you know what, this is not real, folks. So let's go just kind of from A to B to C. Let's forget about the debate. It doesn't solve anything. Let's go to the facts. The facts are, for example, we have photographs and Jeff, you have taken some of those photographs and duplicated them in terms of producing photographs that look to be as good or better. So tell us about that. Well, you know, when you when you get a first look, I think a lot of people will they'll get a first look through the website, either Horns or the Figue site. And of course, you're only getting the the best uh, that he has to show you uh, in terms of believability. You know, and David can attest to this as well that I haven't seen a Billy Meyer photograph yet, and it truthfully is one of the big things that tips you off that it's that they're they're actually small models. Is that in just about every scene you'll notice that you don't particularly see these objects in Billy Meyer's photographs on sunny days. They're always overcast days, which give the sky either a gray or a whitish tone to them, which is perfect for obscuring any kind of like monofilament line holding them up or what have you. But there's also Never, ever any atmospheric, you know, uh, consistencies in the photographs. In other words, if a disc is supposed to be 35 feet across and it's, you know, X amount of yards away, you're going to get a lesson in the dark levels of the particular object 
depending on how far away it is. His always seemed to be as black <laughs> as the closest tree, or as black <laughs> as the deck that is right in front of him, or as black as the moped that is in front of him. And that's really the first thing that tips you off about him. The second thing is often that, you know, the the big wedding cake thing, which, you know, I guess by this point, you know, Horn has pretty much associated my name with the wedding cake shots more than anybody else. Um, <laughs> but it's another thing right there where there are parts on that ship, supposed ship, that are 100% identifiable as luggage Look. clasps, yeah. as, you know, cake edging pans and that kind of thing, uh, ashtrays, you know, and, and what I am pretty sure are just regular plastic Christmas balls uh, that go around the edge, you know. It's that kind of stuff that you just look at it and you say, "There's no way this is you know, the focal distance is ridiculous." You can tell this is very small, you know. And and, and you lump all this stuff together. You 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 look at the the less credible looking shots, is such as like the landed, you know, Bob Lazar slash S4 style looking craft with a warped hull that you can clearly see as two plates joined together. I mean, this is obvious stuff to I think to any of us, but you know you have. On the other hand, all these people within the case who claim these were computer analyzed, these were, you know, by Jim Delatoso at Village Labs, and, and you know, to that point, that's when you got to okay, well, let's look at Jim and Village Labs, you know, and then you start digging into him a little bit, and you find out that he's made all sorts of claims about being employed by NASA, and, and, and oh, I've got a PhD in this and that, and you call these places, and, you know, McGill University, these people have no idea who he is, they've never heard of him, and when he's confronted about that, he turns around and says, well, I took a couple of college courses, but, uh, you know, I couldn't stick to anything, and... I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site, theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com right now. Click on the C-Crane Sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order today. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're having a special UFO roundtable subtitled UFOs, the good, the bad, and the ugly, with apologies, of course, to Clint Eastwood. 
we have Royce Myers of UFOWatchdog.com and Jeff Ritzman, if you want to contact us, send your messages to news at thepowercast.com. And you can visit thepowercast.com, check out our message forums or download past episodes. So we were framing this with the fact that we have people who are supposedly, Jeff, claiming that the Meyer photos are genuine, but when you check out their credentials, they are not genuine. So what about this but, lab that supposedly well, analyzed the photos? Well, no, wait a minute. Before we even go down this route, though, guys, I mean, we can talk about these personalities all we want. If we look at any of the photos out of this hoax situation in the last five or six years, these wedding cake photos are a really great example. They don't pass the most basic aspects of what I call visual believability. The minute your eye sees them, they register as fake. You don't even need to talk about detailed analysis. You don't need to get into the background of Jim Delatoso and who he was. And, 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 and it's relevant, yes, but let's just look at the photographs. They're nonsensical. These wedding cake photos are ridiculous. And here's what I find odd about this. I want to talk about this for just a moment. And I'd like to know what Jeff and Royce think of this issue. It's ironic to me that the earliest Meyer photos are visually, I think, the most believable ones. As time went by, these photographs became less and less convincing. And I don't understand that. What, what, what is behind that fact? What do you guys think? I, I don't have anything to say about it because, frankly, I don't even want to waste my time with it because yeah. it doesn't matter if they were good in the beginning and they slowly got worse. Anything that might have happened to Meyer, and that's a big might at this point as far as I'm right. concerned, right. anything that might have happened has been so awashed by all the other controversial aspects of this that it doesn't matter. The guy has zero credibility. None. Zip. Zero. So it doesn't matter if, like, some people that I've talked to have brought up this, this point of saying, well, what if at first these were really happening, and then down the road he decided that he would make them continue even though they weren't going on? by making models, by doing these contact notes and whatever else. But it doesn't matter if they were really good in the beginning and they're really bad now. None of it has any credibility. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. But at the same time, to look at to look at what you're saying, David, you know, in the beginning, there were no investigators involved. There was nobody to really have to hide from in order to, to shoot these things. And whether they were pre-shot or not, I mean, there's, there's claims within the case that, you know, uh, Lee and Britt Elders and, and Wendell Stevens were all sitting there at the Meyer house and, and uh, you know, Billy uh, gets his, uh, you know, fairyland call to go off and meet the aliens and uh, takes off on the moped and, you know, he goes out with blank camera, you know, uh, full of film and he comes back with these photographs and, you know, that's that's been claimed over and over that there's no way he could have done this, you know, uh, because he left here with, with no, no exposed film and we controlled the film and, you know, if he couldn't control what he was doing and how he was doing them, you know, you, you got to figure, guy out in the middle of the woods, he's got to get the string tied up, he's got one arm on a moped, you know, it, it could Something be, else you know, it could really, very well be, he's just rushed for time, I got to get these shot, they're at the house, you know, blah, blah, blah. Something else that's really interesting here, too, is that on one of the Meyer documentaries that was produced by the elders with Wendell Stevens, is that they have a toy model that they set up of the Meyer ship. They take several photographs, and it shows them looking at the photos. And when you look at the photos, they look great. 
They're every bit as good as the yeah. original Meyer photos. Yeah. And then suddenly, oh, well, we can't. No, this doesn't prove anything. This doesn't prove anything. And they shuffle them aside, and on goes their little adventure in Switzerland. Yeah. Well, they claim that they didn't measure up when Delatosa ran through, you know, his extensive equipment, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, until you realize that really there was no extensive equipment because, you know, they went to De Anza Corporation uh, back in the 70s and, and under the pretense of wanting to buy equipment. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is they, they came in, they asked for some basic operations to be performed on the photographs for an example or, an ex- you know, a uh, like a test drive. And, and allegedly one, uh, one employee of De Anza had said that they told him, you know, can you make the bottom of this craft appear to reflect the bottom, you know, the, the what's below it, the ground below it. And he said, we did the operation they asked for. They snapped some pictures and they left. Well, yep. I hate to tell you, but those pictures is. are the ones yeah. that are are yeah. in the official report as being thermogram and color density separations, and this is indications of heat, and it's not indications of anything. Deanza, you know, employee says, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, they asked us to put those colors in there, and that doesn't mean anything. We didn't give them anything that would have come down on that decision uh, based on what information. So all we did was execute a couple of, you know, really, and, you know, if you look at these photographs, you can tell they're nothing but posterization type, you know, and color altering uh, shots. That's all they are. Let's step back from this for a moment, because I, I'm kind of with Royce on this, that at this point, even discussing this case gives them too much credibility. It, it's almost like this is what they want. They want attention, any attention, whether it's positive or negative attention. All right. All right. You know, I, I'm at a point where I'm ready to declare a moratorium on these guys and say, look, we know what this is. We're done with it. I wonder, though, what mechanism is it that keeps hoaxes like this one alive? Is it that people so desperately want to believe in UFOs that they're willing to glom onto anything and say, you know, as long as there's some kernel of truth here, maybe there's something to talk about. Because something I've talked about with Gene and with Jeff offline is that, for my money, 98% of all all paranormal stuff is potentially suspect. 98% of it. But there's 2% that cannot be easily explained. And I, I'm going to go and say in any realm of paranormal activity, that's true. And that 2% keeps me interested. So is it that a hope that something might be true in something like this case keeps people somehow coming back to it? Why do people pay attention to this? Well, I think there's a number of reasons they do. And that, that feeling that need to believe is part of it. The other part of it, too, is that, well, we all know that this field's completely unregulated, that there are no standards in it in terms of investigators or when people do presentations. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of it, too, mm-hmm. is that when the information's presented, it's presented in such a way, making it seem so extraordinary and compelling, and they make it sound like it is so far out of our realm and out of our grasp that it transcends any source of common sense. <laughs> and the bottom line is this, is that simply because you're dealing with something uncommon, it does not preclude us from using common sense. I mean, UFOs are extraordinary, right? Sure they are. Does this make us abandon that intuition that I think a lot of people are given? Well, it really shouldn't. And the expectations are this, is that UFOs should make people awestruck. And people tap into that. A lot of these guys that present this information and sell it, and of course we are talking the bottom line here that it's the bottom line with dollar signs, right. what happens is they, they tap into it. They know that. They're savvy. They're smart. And they know how to twist and turn things and how to hook people in. That's part of the big problem, is that they really capitalize on that people should be sitting out here with their jaw, jaws hung open drooling 
on the words and supposed proof that they offer. And some of these folks are very well versed in this sidestepping, looping, deflection, misdirection, verbal parrying, and that they build what they present up so well that most people get lost in it. And when someone else comes around with information directly refuting the, their claims or major aspects of their claims, it's like pouring blood into shark-infested waters. These guys yeah. thrive on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, in this case, it's more like a leech, you know, leech-infested stream. <laughs> right. But the promoters of these wacky cases will use whatever it is you have. They'll twist it, they'll bend it, and they'll turn it into free publicity. And it makes those with clear proof to the contrary out to be the suppressors of freedom and spirituality and um, Never mind the men of black. Agents, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. I can't count how many emails I get where people have accused me of being a government spy or yeah. a disinformation agent. It's just silly. And off they go. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e-m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits you're in the paracast gene steinberg and david bandney you never know what's going to happen next You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. If you want to contact us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com, news at theparacast.com. When you visit our website, paracast.com, you can check out our message forums or download past episodes. David, by the way, is combating a cold, which is why his voice has deepened. He's, he's not taking opera lessons, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And we have Royce Myers III of ufowatchdog.com and UFO investigator Jeff Ritz. We have a UFO roundtable discussing UFOs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And unfortunately, to get to the truth, sometimes you have to wade through these shark-infested waters with Billy Meyer at one side and maybe Project Serpo on the other. Hmm. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. Uh, There's a lot that happens and in terms of people believing things. I'll go back to you guys know about the Jonathan Reed case. Oh, yeah. 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 Tell, tell okay. our listeners about this. Brief synopsis. A guy claiming to be Dr. Jonathan Reed said that while hiking in the woods in Washington State with his dog, he stumbled on an alien that killed his dog, and he got pissed and killed the alien. Took the alien's body home, threw it in a freezer, and I think the name that they'd come up with, a lot of people were calling it, was the uh, was a frozen E.T. burrito or something along those lines. <laughs> yeah. And pretty soon, the men in black are coming out, the feds are coming out, they're making his life hell, they've killed a couple of people, they've ransacked his house, they've taken most of his evidence, and off he goes. So he's on the lam. And even before, I, I, I published a, a, pretty, a pretty extensive debunking of him, proving that, one, he wasn't Dr. Reed, two, that he didn't have any degrees, and three, that none of this ever happened, was that it got such a huge following. I mean, it was enormous. This guy was the keynote speaker at a major UFO conference here in the United States, and nobody could, I was just, I, 
I was stumped that this was going on because even prior to that, he'd outlined he'd outlined a story on uh, on a late night radio program, and had given the specifics about his employment, his education, and some other things. Well, some folks started checking into that, and none of it was true. His timelines were way off. People that he claimed to work with were dead before he had, uh, or were dead or retired before he wound up actually working with them. Well, maybe he and worked on, with them after they retired and died. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And so this case got, I mean, it got an enormous following. Where Pete, where he was down at this UFO conference, 700 people attended his lecture at twenty dollars a pop. Huh? That's pretty good. There's bang. no money in UFOs, though, is there? Right? No. The crack <laughs> right. side of the exactly. saucer. Right. What somebody once told yeah. me: the crack side of the saucer is where you can make a lot of money. Yeah. It's true. It is. It's absolutely true. Look at any number of UFO, you know, conventions or conferences, as they like to call them. You will see an assortment of people that anybody who's serious about this subject knows have no credibility. But they keep making the rounds, and they keep making the rounds, and they keep making the rounds. They're selling books, DVDs, CD-ROMs, calendars, coffee mugs. Galactic diplomat training. <laughs> yeah. I could use that, I think. We, we could all have some galactic diplomat training, of course. Yeah. Well, this Jonathan Reed case went on and on and on until I finally figured out, with the help of some other people that actually knew this guy personally, exactly who he was. But up until that point, he had just, he was doing keynote speaking addresses, he was lined up to do other conferences, they were selling books, they were making appearances on late night radio programs, they even got some people who were considered, you know, I, I kind of have that celebrity persona in ufology, endorsing this case. And when it all came crumbling down, even after all these so-called investigators said, oh, yeah, we've thoroughly investigated the case, we confirmed his identity, uh, we've confirmed his story, we have all this physical evidence, uh, his alien device uses nanotechnology, and we can prove it's alien, da-da-da-da. Even after all those claims were put out there, once the bricks came down, I mean, they came down hard. And all the people that were involved in that have somehow recovered, and they're trucking on. Mm -hmm. Well, just uh, say that the exposés were all due to the silence group or the secret government, and then that's it. I mean, look what they did with Billy Meyer, where he was allegedly subject to several assassination attempts. Of course, if you ask them for the evidence, it doesn't exist. Yeah, police reports don't exist. You know, there's just any any way you go in that in that mess. There's just there's nothing to see. Well, if you make and a person to a martyr, that adds to his credibility because you have this theory. Well, why would they go after him if he was a faker? Obviously, right. they are trying to kill him or arrest him because not because he's perpetrating a fraud on somebody, but because he has the way and the truth. Well, I mean, it, it's the more that they can heap upon that case. You know, that's more hooks in the water. You know, if if nobody wants to believe that the guy is a UFO contactee, then they'll pursue some other avenue. You know, and and to that end, you've got the other, I think, less known area of the Billy Meyer case to to, to novice people is this ancient biblical text that he supposedly discovered with somebody else who who's since been murdered, and you know, and the text, of course, has been destroyed. There's nothing to really examine, but um, you know, Billy remembers it all from memory and he's transcribed it and it's you know it's being translated now into every language that you can possibly imagine for mass dissemination i mean there's not a a shred of credibility in any of it at all you go to any theological you know web board they'll tell you this is the, a typical and consistent biblical hoax and you know but it, it, it's another line in the water see and 
you know, and and I have to admit that I'm I'm a little bit more than fascinated, not so much about the case, but I'm more fascinated with uh, the bigger picture. In that, why do people want to believe this? Why why the you know why are they hooked so hard that there's no way for them to turn back out of it and finally say? Maybe they're right. You know, this does look a little weird. And why wouldn't he answer that question? And you know, it's that kind of thing. And and uh, the the fact of the matter that I see with a lot of people is, any time that you hear a Meyer supporter talk about religion, it's always insanely negative. It's obvious to me that a lot of these people in this little group were. You know, forced to go to church, perhaps raised in this you know really strict Catholic upbringing, and it's like a rebellion against that. You know that I don't believe any of that. Here's what I believe, and this is, you know, it, there's all sorts of different reasons why people believe what they do, but in a lot of ways, I think a lot of it is rebellion against, you know, what they perceive to be, you know, a uh, a dictatorship in religion and all that kind of thing. That can raise uh, another discussion, which we may want to pursue in more detail. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. If you want to contact us, send your messages and views at thepowercast.com. And you can also visit our online forums at thepowercast.com or download past episodes of the show. We have a UFO roundtable subtitled UFOs, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, featuring Royce Myers III of UFOwatchdog.com and UFO researcher Jeff Ritzman. And we're talking about the need to believe here. And maybe in many ways, organized religion has failed a lot of people, and they are looking for a higher power. And if somebody says that higher power comes here in a Spaceship. Well, that's one way to get the message across. In fact, if we go back to the early days of the UFO field, at least the modern UFO field, George Adamski, one of the early contactees, and he was preaching his religion, his philosophy, and nobody took him seriously until it came out of the mouths of the Venusians. Then things changed. But in a sense, he once said to somebody, sometimes you have to come in through the back door to get the truth across. And so he felt that if the Venusians said these truths, you'd believe them. But if George Adamski, who was somebody who sold hot dogs or something at Mount Palomar <laughs> yeah. Observatory, said it, you wouldn't take him seriously, not any bit. But this brings us back to this idea of people wanting 
a one-stop shop for answers. I mean, look at the history of religion and the the last 2,000 years. I mean, how many people have been killed in the name of a compassionate God? Absolutely. How many people, I mean, how many civilizations have been destroyed in the name of something that no one can even prove exists? It's, it's right. almost like human beings are so intelligent that they're stupid it's kind of like the idea i get so drunk i get so drunk i'm sober again you know there's this whole thing oh i'm so high i'm not high anymore people and i really believe this comes back down to something about human beings not wanting to take responsibility for anything people want someone else to be their leader. I mean, we right. look to leaders, we look to religious leaders, political leaders. It's like, okay, let them make the hard decisions because then if they screw up, at least it wasn't my fault. If you know, if that priest or if that rabbi is not right about God, well, I I just try to do the right thing so I don't have to take responsibility for it. Yeah. And look, it's brought the, this planet to a point where human beings are taxing the abilities of the planet to support us and we're, we're destroying the oceans, we're destroying the atmosphere, and the idea is that, well, you know, it, it, the Bible said it's here for us to use, and we'll let the next generation figure it out. Except now we're at a time in history when all of a sudden, the next generation, or two generations out, is not going to have any life in the oceans. You don't have life in the oceans, it's game over for the planet. Well, that also I mean, invites the space people, you see, because you say, look, our planet is going to hell in a breadbasket. We have global warming. We're destroying our natural resources. So now, so now the extraterrestrials come down to Earth, and they're here to help us rather than to harm us. Now, this is the big difficulty we have with the UFO field. Somebody sees something strange, and they want to learn something more about it. They start reading about the subject, and they get into this field, and they see this mass of claims. And certainly they're hoping for an answer. And certainly if somebody has an answer, maybe they get more of an audience than somebody who says, you know what, I'm trying to find out the truth, but I don't know it yet. People don't want to always accept the fact that we don't have all the answers. I think what happens is, you, you guys are right about this. I think even looking back on 40 years, what, what, what have we had? Vietnam, Gulf War. A lot of really bad things have happened, 9-11. And I think some people just get want to really get out of touch with things, and they look for a hero. Yeah. And some people focus in on these guys that are making these claims. Hey, look, I'm talking to aliens. They've told me uh, their philosophy and their religion, and I want to share it with you. And all you have to do is buy my books, join my club, uh you know, find my newsletter. Send, you know, there's there's a lot of that going on where people just don't want to deal with things, and they find something and latch on to it. I, I don't couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I mean, it's not only just that either. I mean, a lot of these cases provide or claim to provide the answers for get ready for it our future survival and you know that is that is the fear tactic of sales right there in a nutshell mm -hmm. you know you can survive this if you listen to me you can survive this if you believe this you know and and you know point of story there's a lot of very fearful people out there about everything in the world and the idea that uh, you know that the world's going to be over soon and all this kind of, I mean how many times have we heard this <laughs> you know yeah. how for how long you know I, I, t I told my son the other day I said you know kiddo 
because he came in and he said to me, do you, do you think this is the end of the world? And I said, you know, it either is or it isn't. I said, but don't let anybody in any book ever tell you that uh, it's going to happen now. It's going to, Nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, the, Here's the whole thing in a nutshell. Nobody knows the future. Nobody knows what's going to happen to this world. And you know, you're going to make decisions in your life that are going to have negative consequence and positive ones. It's all the world's going to keep chugging just like it's always chugging, you know. And but fuel that fire of we're in the end times, or World War Three is coming, or uh, you know this planet's heading for global catastrophe on a massive worldwide. Scene. I mean, come on, you know. But if you listen to me. I'll get you through it. I'll make sure you survive, you know? Well, doesn't that make you somebody feel better? Sure, if you're gullible enough to believe it. So, and it's interesting, too, if you really look at a lot of these UFO shysters have tapped into a number of different areas. The environment, free energy, you know, they're trying to wrap everything up in one nice, neat package. So when they present it to you, you can go, oh, okay, yeah, here's my credit card or my twenty nine ninety five or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Really, there are some very masterful people out there that are very good at waving their hands and getting you to see what you want, what they want you to see. Right. And I think that the other problem too is even though we have this vast communication system now for information, you know, with the internet, is that a lot of people maybe they just don't want to look for those answers. Maybe they don't want to find out that something that they believed in for thirty years is an absolute lie. All right. Yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and you know, a lot of people like the the whole. Uh, I mean, make no mistake about what popular media culture has to do with on the UFO thing. I mean, I was uh, back on AOL years and years and years ago working for Sightings and doing chats with them. And I mean to tell you, if you'd have seen the the impact, and uh, Gene, you you probably saw it, the the impact that the X Files had on ufology. Oh my God, it was absurd. I mean, you know, every time you came in, it was like somebody else talking about some somebody who'd spoken to them about a UFO case at a conference, and, you know, they must have been a men in black, and this, that, and the other. I mean, people love a mystery. So if there's anybody out there with a halfway decent story, it's a mystery to be solved, and people get involved in trying to solve it, you know, or believing that it's real and that they're part of this rebellion, again, rebellion against the government. You know, we're going to find this out because you have to tell us. The government is keeping it all a secret. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's a that's a great mystery. I mean, and, and you know, we're as human beings, we're big puzzle solvers. We we got to know what's really going on. And uh, you know, if if you can make money off of a great story that nobody's ever going to be able to figure out, well, hello, you can keep people in in the round loop for years and years and years. Well, that's so, the problem with somebody, for example, who's a contactee. <laughs> right. With a contactee, you have a situation here where someone has one experience. And this is a larger picture here, that maybe a few of these contactees had one paranormal experience a long, long time ago. Right. And then people come to them and say, okay, they want to hear the next. They want the answers. They want to hear about the next experience. And there is no other experience. So they decide to fabricate a few. Another dimension. You've entered the Paracast.
Let me tell our listeners, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney, who's nursing a cold and therefore has become a deeper person as a result. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you want to contact us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. Visit our website, theparacast.com. Check out our online forums where you can participate, by the way, or download past episodes of the show. We have a UFO roundtable in progress, and we're in part one of it right now. And it will continue through both parts of the show, featuring Royce Myers III of UFOWatchdog.com and Jeff Ritzman, a longtime UFO investigator. Now, let's talk about maybe the time that you learned that the things in the UFO field weren't all good, that there was a lot of nonsense out there. Royce, at what point in your studies of UFOs did you realize that not everything you read was true? Hi. (laughs) <laughs> was fortunate enough to uh, have had the opportunity to go down to a, a UFO conference down in Los Angeles. This is a long time ago. This is probably mid-90s I went. And I went with a good friend of mine, an older guy who was um, in his 70s at the time. He was a helicopter pilot. He was also a pilot during uh, World War II. And he had had a Foo Fighter sighting, and uh, I actually got connected with him through a, a series of UFO lectures that I was holding here where I live at, and he found out that this conference was going on and said, hey, do you want to go on down? And I said, well, yeah, sure. So we, so we flew on down, and I spent the week in there, and it was the most eye-opening experience I've ever had in my entire life <laughs> in terms of this subject. It was just this, it was incredible. I met Sean David Morton there. For the very first time, oh, and that's when I, yeah, that's when I, that's when I caught wind that maybe uh, all wasn't all that uh, it was cracked up to be, not even close. So while we're down there, I'm, I'm kind of making the rounds and uh, talking to some folks, and I met Whitley Strieber down there, and I met Jaime Masson. I actually had, I actually had a little food with Jaime, and um, I, there were a number of people that I met while I was down there. But during that, it seemed like the majority of conversations were focused on getting. Uh, TV deals, movie deals, book deals, this deal, that deal, those deals, and a lot of behind the scenes. It was it was really interesting, kind of laying low because you know at the time I really no one knew who I was and I didn't care. <laughs> I still don't care. <laughs> and so when I was uh, hanging out down there, they had a group of guys that I was that I was close to, and they were they were talking about something, and the conversation turned to them trashing Sean Morton. And I was like, what's this about? And so I listened for a minute. Well, a few minutes later, Morton comes walking down the way, and these guys stop. Oh, hey, Sean, how are you? And these guys are hugging each other and stuff like they're all lost buddies. And he left, and the trash talking resumed. And uh, while I was down there, I talked to quite a few of the vendors that were there, and a lot of them were just saying, I'm just here for money. (laughs) That's the only reason I'm here. And uh, being there and seeing some of the antics that I saw while I was there and some of the conversations that I had with these UFO celebrities, so to speak, really was an eye-opener for me in terms of, wow, this place, this is a pretty pretty screwed-up field. (laughs) In terms of when you would talk to them and they would make claims, of course, at that time I was like, where's your proof? Well, da-da-da-da-da. And it was misdirection, sidestepping, or whatever else. And so that was the real big, big experience that I had. I also went to one at Mount Shasta some time ago, shortly after or right before this one down in L.A., I'm not quite sure. But there it was just a, it was a conference, and they were there for money. And I don't have anything against people who do full-time, legitimate research making a living. 
there's nothing wrong with that at all. What I have a problem with is when I hear you know, a conference promoter at a luncheon talking about, oh, how great it is to be able to share this experience and da-da-da-da. And then 10 minutes later hearing him, you know, yelling on the phone some obscenities to someone who didn't make their flight. It was one of the speakers that was coming and just saying, you know, how much money you're costing me, da-da-da-da-da. And that was a real eye-opener for me, those two experiences. Jeff, what about you? I would have to say... uh that you kind of knew something was fishy, I mean, all the way back for me, when you would see, just say, a spot on uh, on TV, if there would be a UFO special or something like that, like way back in the early 80s, um, that you would never, you would hear these astounding cases, but you'd never hear a follow-up on them. They'd just kind of be presented once, and then it was off to the races, and, you know, of course, not being, not they're not being an internet or any global type of thing like we have now. Uh, I always question, you know, well, what happened to that guy? And did anybody ever look at his pictures? And what about his story? You never got any follow-up on this stuff. And that immediately made me uh, really suspicious. I mean, I I have to say, you know, that I got into this for really selfish reasons. And that was that it was was impacting my life. And and I wanted to know uh, what was going on. Um, And... And, and I guess that's a selfish reason. You know, I have to say that if it if it hadn't impacted my life personally, I don't know that I'd be that interested in it. To be honest with you, um, because it, it, you know it, it is a little bit out there, and uh, you know, it, it. I think that my one of my big reasons for being labeled a debunker and whatnot, uh, and anybody who knows me knows it's, knows it's not true. Um, is that uh, I'm super, I'm hypercritical of everything because, you know, I believe it is a really important subject and it deserves to be treated with some, uh, some credibility and some, so, some, some suspect to it, um, to get to any really, really real answers, um, uh, no matter what they are. I don't care what the answer is. If it's, if it's, you know, if it's if it's all in our heads, if it's a hoax, I don't care what the answer is. I just want to know what it is. Where is the end of this? You never got that. You know, you never heard whatever happened to so and so. And I think the other thing was going back um, when I first started getting really actively involved. I was at a researcher's house in Maryland who was really high profile at the time and uh, had been on numerous broadcasts on TV over and over. Uh, pretty hot commodity at the time, and he sat me down. He says, "I want you, I want you to check these out and tell me if you've ever seen anything like this." I said, "Okay." He sits me down in front of a TV screen, and he starts showing me video after video of some of the most astounding UFO footage I've ever seen in my life. And to this date, nobody hearing this nor on this panel has seen any of them. And I asked him, I said. Why, why, why are these not on TV? Why haven't you given these to to Fox, to whoever is going to... These things need to be shown. This is amazing stuff. This is before the advent of any CGI stuff or, you know, any way to, to effectively do this. And I'd have to say that looking at some of them, I can't see of any other way that they could have been done other than, you know, a, a CG composite type thing. And even then, they were incredibly good, if that's what they were. And the researcher just looked up at me and he smiled and he says, "Well, some stuff you have to save for when you're when you don't have anything else." <laughs> and I said, "What the hell does that mean?" You know? He says, "Well, you know, 
this stuff ebbs and flows. You may get a lot this month to talk about, but the next six months could be absolutely barren. So you've got to have something to to fill that time. I'm like, you know, this stuff should be out now, you know. And that's when I first got my first little taste of, you know, this is all about money for some people and, and less about exposing it and showing it to everybody freely. It really is all about the cash flow and, and, and continuing your career in it as far as you can, you know, with what you have. So that kind of kind of made me think, uh, well, maybe maybe this isn't as important to everybody else as it is to me. And, you know, that uh, for a lot of people, it's just a business. So... She came to Earth to conquer our planet. He traveled to the future to conquer her heart. Experience the adventure of a lifetime. Attack Attack of the the Rockoids. The critics are raving about Attack of the Rockoids. One reviewer writes, The father and son writing team of Gene and Grayson Steinberg have written a marvelous, fast-paced story of interstellar warfare and star-crossed love. The battle scenes are so descriptive, you can see the spaceships explode and be consumed by gigantic balls of flame. I enjoyed this story and the authors say there is more to come about the characters and the future world of the Rockoids. Fans of Star Wars and Star Trek will enjoy this story and look forward to many more adventures of Ray and Xanther. That's Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. Order your copy direct from Amazon Books or check out a sample chapter and get a special discount on your copy direct from www.rockoids.com. That's www.rockoids.com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids in the grand and science fiction tradition. During the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. And we're having a UFO roundtable today. If you want to contact us, by the way, send your messages to news at thepowercast.com, news at thepowercast.com. Check our site, thepowercast.com, where you can participate in our message boards. Open up your own topics of discussion if you don't find the one you like there. And also download past episodes on the UFO roundtable. We are talking about UFOs, the good, the bad, and the ugly with Royce Myers of UFOWatchdog.com and Jeff Ritzman. And David is nursing a cold and becoming a base in the local barbershop quartet. <laughs> so I listen to this, and you know I, what, what, what occurs to me is that, unfortunately, even when there's legitimate information, personalities get in the way. And, and the thing that... The first person I think about when it comes to this, and, and I'll probably get groans from everybody, is Stephen Greer. Now, here you've got a guy, I mean, let's forget Greer for a moment. I watched the press club conference with the panel of people he had assembled from inside the government, from inside the military, talking about experiences that I found to be, for the most part, highly compelling, highly credible, and very legitimate. But... You've got Greer, who on one side has this group of people who seem to have some really valid and fascinating information. On the other hand, you have him selling the ability to summon UFOs with the power of thought. I mean, I look at this and I try to think, how did this happen? How is it that all these people end up getting on a stage with him? And again, people who, for the most part, seem highly credible, seem like they're telling the truth about 
a range of experiences that are, are mind-boggling, that do seem to underscore some kind of government conspiracy to cover the stuff up. But then on the other side, he completely rips his credibility apart with the C-SETI thing. How, how do these two things coexist at the same time? I think what winds up happening is that when people first get involved in this and they have a serious interest, they're serious about it, obviously, where they're actually doing an investigation and they're trying to be credible. I think after a while what happens is they get so wrapped up in either their own celebrity or their own beliefs about things, there's your truth, my truth, and then the truth. Mm-hmm. When they get wrapped up in those things, or both of them, they wind up pushing their own truth on things and mixing it up with what they're currently involved in and making all the people who have credibility that are associated with them suffer. And I see a lot of these personalities who I think just get so frustrated with things or possibly they get started and they, they're, they're doing it for for a good cause, and then later they kind of go, hey, I can make some money doing this, I can get a little popularity, I could write a book, I could do some DVDs or whatever else, and they wind up going down that road, and like I said before, unfortunately, they wind up taking the credible people down that drain with them. And I just think a lot of people push their own truth and their agendas. Well, everybody's got an agenda. I mean, the, the reason that Gene and I are doing this show, and I've said this on the show before, we, we never thought, okay, this is going to be some gravy train. This is going to be some meal ticket. We were both genuinely interested in this topic. And I, I've come to this for the same reason that Jeff has. I've, I've had experiences that I can't explain, a variety of them, and I want to understand them. And that's been my motivation here. And And it needs to be said, People who get into this, who have a professional career, end up getting into a very bad situation. My professional career has apparently, from what I can tell, suffered tremendously from being involved in this discussion. And so I look at this and I think, you know, popularity, Greer is going to be popular with who? Five UFO nutcases who are, who are fascinated by this stuff? Yeah, I really start to wonder about that because, I, I mean, uh, Gene and I may have made some new friends. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've struck up a friendship with Jeff that I think I'll treasure for the rest of my life. That said, though, from a money-making point of view, this is, this is a bust. Or maybe we just don't know what we're doing here. Hey, well... <laughs> You know, when, when you start actually being responsible with things, you know, UFOs are sensationalistic. People want to hear sensationalistic crap. They yeah. do. Well, this, yeah. the mere fact of UFOs is, is sensationalistic in the fact that it's incredible what's going on. Right, but why, why just stop there with something that's unidentified flying through the skies when you can add in free energy, the environment, angels, religion, <sighs> um, you know, survival tools for humanity, da-da-da-da-da. Well, why yeah. stop there? The mere fact that UFOs may be visitors from another planet, another dimension, intelligent creatures who have created all these advanced crafts, that's an amazing story with incredible repercussions around the world. We don't need to go any further than that to have a really wild story, folks, except that some people, as you say, take that and they use it as a stepping point, a stepping stone to spreading their own information. So maybe they do want to talk about 
religion. They want to talk about the environment, about politics. But again, back to George Adamski, if it comes out of the mouths of the Space Brothers, wow. If it comes out of my mouth, who cares? The four of us know that. But the 700 people who (laughs) gladly pay 20 bucks a person to listen to this tall tale that Dr. Reed or... You know, whatever you'd like to call him. A few choice words for him. But, uh, you know, look at that. That's what you're up against. I mean, you know, it it comes down for me that I've done, I don't know how many lectures on, you know, people asking me to come. Will you come down and talk to us about what's happened to you or what you've seen or what you think? Sure, you know, but, you know, it it might be an interesting story to you, but it's, uh, I'm getting tired, a little tired of telling people I don't know. You know, I, yeah. I can't tell you how many times that I've had people come up to me after a lecture and 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 say, "Well, what are they?" Well, I don't know. Well, what do you mean you don't know? I mean, I don't know. What do you want me to make up something for you? I mean, I've literally said that to people. So um, you're forced sometimes when you do a lecture, not you specifically, but I think some other UFO researchers who I think probably do some pretty good work, but they are asked to provide answers and they'll take some of their speculation they'll present it as answers ladies and gentlemen on the first part of the paracast we presented a hot part one of ufos the good the bad and the ugly featuring royce myers the third of ufowatchdog.com and that's his website where he has a hall of fame by the way and a hall of shame and i think for the first part we've been talking about people who deserve to be in the hall of shame because they're spreading disinformation they're doing things for their personal agendas, aggrandizement or profits or everything and it hasn't been too pretty Jeff Ritzman, longtime UFO researcher talking about things that he has encountered where things aren't too pleasant and certainly David and I have seen the bottom (laughs) pits of the UFO field in part two we're going to talk about some of the good stuff some of the best cases the heroes and UFO research who are trying to get the answers and we're going to see whether we can come up to any advice or ideas of where you as a listener might want to proceed if you want to learn the facts on the Paracast Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. (laughs) 
Ladies and gentlemen, we're back at the Paracast Part 2 UFO Roundtable called UFOs, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And the first part of the show, we covered the ugly. Now, we'll try to get in some of the bad stuff, too. We'll try to get some of the good stuff for this part of the episode. We're talking to Royce Myers III of UFOwatchdog.com, which meant there were, there were two Royce Myers preceding him, and they were taken away in spaceships. <laughs> it would explain so much. That's right. And seriously, Jeff Ritzman, UFO researcher, joining us. David has a bit of a cold, but actually he really wants to be Barry White. Oh, I'm going to tell. I, I don't. I can't even do it. Forget it. Okay. <laughs> no, no, just keep going. Roll right over me. Go right for uh, it. Let's Go talk for. about the UFO Hall of Fame here and the good stuff, the good sightings, the stuff that really keeps you interested in this field because I think we've spent enough time dealing with the Billy Myers and the Project Serpos and all the nonsense out there. And now let's try to show some positive aspects to it. Royce. What about the UFO field turns you on, cases, whatever? Well, in terms of people, there there are a lot of really good people that are in this field. And that's one thing that's always fascinated me is that these very seemingly intelligent, educated people are actually in this field with good things to say about it as opposed to what most other people view as, you know, scientists, bad-mouthing UFOs or whatever else. And uh, did you guys see the ABC uh, UFO special? Yes. The yes. With Peter okay. Jennings. Right. Right. Well, they had uh, Dr. Uh, uh, and I forgive me if I'm slaughtering his last name, uh, Kaku. He said something that was really, really fascinating that I, I never expected to hear out of uh, this guy, who is this big, big time physics professor. And he said this. He said, you simply cannot dismiss the possibility that some of these UFO sightings are actually sightings from some object created by an advanced civilization, a civilization far out in space, a civilization perhaps millions of years ahead of us in technology, you simply cannot discount that possibility. And he had also said something else. He simply said, let's start over and let's investigate this from square one. Because even if one case is good, you simply right, can't right. dismiss you can't dismiss it based on a thousand hoaxes. And so he is one of the more fascinating people that have, have emerged in this field in the last few years. Uh, there are a number of people that I think do this field a great a great service, and I just there's just no way I could name all of them. Uh, George Knapp, he's he's one of the guys that I think uh, George is a class act. Um, I forgive him for Bob Lazar. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think everybody else does, but uh, George is a George is a right on guy. He really is. I I really like what he does. And uh, who else? There are just so many people. Uh, Nancy Talbot. I don't know if you guys have ever had her on the show or not. Yes, she was on last week's episode talking about, of course, crop circles. Oh, and there are a lot of other people out there too. Uh, a lot of people that some people don't like. Uh, Kevin Randall is another great researcher. In terms of cases, I just I could go on and on. There's so many good cases. Cash Landrum. I mean, there's a there's a really great case in my opinion because not only do you have you know three three credible witnesses, you've also got a lot of physical evidence and that's what I really like to deal with that's what I like to see are these cases with physical evidence more than just photographs I could, I could you research. tell our listeners about that episode Royce sure Cash Landrum really simple uh, down in Texas a lady and uh, her daughter and her grandson were driving down a highway and they saw a large glowing object floating above them on the highway 
and it was escorted by a number of what they described as military helicopters. Well, right after this encounter, they uh, they got radiation poisoning, and I believe I, I I can't remember which of the which of the ladies passed away. It was in the last few years, but one of them had passed away due to a long series of illnesses, so, uh, more than likely associated with that event. Uh, they were the first people to file, I believe, a, a UFO lawsuit against the government. And it wound up not going anywhere, unfortunately. And I'm not really sure if any of those folks are alive still. But I mean, you, can, you can Google this. I could go on and on about it. There's so much information around that case. But it seems to me to be one of the more credible cases out there. Well, I think that's just a good start to talk about that as a very credible case and something people should investigate. Jeff, what about yeah. you? What turns you on about UFO research and about specific cases? I think probably one of the, well, two of the probably the most influential people on me uh, in looking to all this is probably going to be Richard Hall and uh, Russ Estes. Richard Hall, you know, his one book, the um, was it the UFO Evidence, I believe it was called. That's like, you know, that book will, will will blow your head off in more ways than one. Just about not only the weirdness of it all, but and you know, but even some of the stuff that people don't usually want to talk about. Uh, I, I think Mr. Hall really is uh, an astute researcher, and uh, and he's an, he's a guy that, uh, you know, he should be at the top. We should all be talking about. This is a guy that that's been is probably one of the oldest living UFO investigators in history, and has done so much awesome work. Um, but yet, he doesn't sensationalize. He doesn't um, he doesn't sugarcoat and try to make it more uh, more grand than what already is. It's the facts and nothing but the facts. And here's what happened here, and here's what happened there. And that's really the way. I mean, he, to me, he's a he's a um, an example of what more people should be doing but don't. Russ Estes, who passed away in 2005, was a pretty good friend of mine, and uh, I used to talk to him, you know, countless times for hours on end on the phone, and uh, he kind of gave me my, you had asked earlier, you know, what, what kind of... Uh, uh, what kind of thing to turn me down on uh, on sus- being suspicious of a lot of things and and he was also a pinnacle uh, of that getting me to think a lot more critically about not only what I saw presented on this anywhere but also um, what was going on with me you know um, you know don't uh, don't get too hung up on this and that you know try to try to have other people see what you're seeing and, and see if they recognize it and, you know the whole the whole um, you know, shared experience type of thing, you know, in getting me to try to have people around to witness certain things themselves as well. Case-wise, probably Bentwaters Woodbridge is, um, is really interested in me for a long time, and there's, unfortunately, there's gotten to be a bit of opportunistic stuff in that as well, but I think some of the core reports from some of the the, uh, the important people in that case, uh, Colonel Halt and all those, I think that uh, I think that's really interesting stuff. Whether or not it's it's evidence of a UFO event or whether it's a psychotronics weapons testing or who knows, um, I found that to be really interesting. And uh, and I had a, a long-standing interest in uh, in Gulf Breeze, not so much Ed Walters, but some other stuff down there. And uh, and Pine Bush, New York, I think, uh, is a really interesting place. Uh, I've been to both places a couple of times, and uh, they're weird places. I mean, you know, I think Pine Bush is, uh, you know, is is famous, you know, from like the Hudson Valley UFO reports and whatnot. I think there's something going on up there. I don't know what. 
very weird place. I was a little too, I was a little too afraid to stay too awfully long after dark there. <laughs> but um, Gulf Breeze, I spent about a week and a half in, and um, uh, I went to the conference there as well. Um, you know, is is there anything to Ed Walter's pictures? I don't have any idea. I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm pretty skeptical of his stuff. But unfortunately, you know, Gulf Breeze didn't start with Ed Walters. It started way, way before him, uh, being sort of a UFO hotspot of sorts. Um, as I understand it these days, it's really cooled off down there. There's not a lot going on. But, um you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, I'm trying to think what the man's name is. There, there was a couple down there that uh, photographed m more and filmed more UFO uh, events down there than just about anybody. Person Ann Morrison, I think their name was. Let me tell our listeners, you're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're having a UFO roundtable today. If you need to get in touch with us or want to get in touch with us, send your messages to news at thepowercast.com, news at thepowercast.com. When you visit our website, thepowercast.com, you can check out our message boards, get involved, start your own topics, things that really turn you on about the various paranormal subjects that you're interested in or download past episodes of the show. Our UFO roundtable subtitle titled UFOs, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, featuring Royce Myers III of UFOWatchdog.com and Jeff Ritzman, UFO investigator. And we've been talking now about the good stuff. Okay. David, what's good about UFO research in your opinion? Well, I have to tell you, Gene, um, keeping it in the family here, in recent memory, Jeff Ritzman uh, comes to mind as one of the most credible people that I've spoken to in terms of an experiencer who... I feel, has had real experiences. At least, you know, I've talked to Jeff offline. We've talked to him on the show a few times, and um, I've spoken to him offline. I don't find any reasons for Jeff to make up the stuff that he's talked about in our show and stuff we've talked about privately. I, I, I feel that Jeff is describing real experiences. I think that the fact that he has had other people around when these things have happened, to me, really s establishes his credibility. And uh, in many ways, he's really reinvigorated my interest in this field. So again, not to sort of yeah. Not Where do I send a check? <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's the thing. The, the fact yeah. of the matter is, I don't see what you have to gain from being open about the stuff that you've experienced, that you've, you've, you've told us stories on the show mm -hmm. that, you know, most people listen to and think, oh, this guy's just insane. Right. Um, you know, what do you have to gain by talking about this? That To me, that... You know, you don't have anything for sale. As far as I know, you don't have a book. You don't have lectures. No. You don't have a DVD for sale. No. Jeff does have some cool custom-painted guitars, but that's <laughs> not, you know, nothing to do with UFOs. I think mm. Jeff is, to me, one of the most credible witnesses of paranormal stuff I've ever spoken to. Now, as far as other people, um, we had Rich Dolan on the show. I think that uh, Dolan strikes me as someone who's very, very sincere, who seems highly intelligent, highly knowledgeable. And it's like I feel that he's done a lot of the the really hard work. This UFOs and the National Security book, the National Security State, it's a fascinating book. The guy it's really reading. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a copy of the first edition here that his wife gave me at the conference in Las Vegas recently. See, now, I, I, I think that this guy is probably one of the strongest researchers we have today. And, you know, even though on the show, when we had him on and I talked about the problem with any credibility of any visual evidence, whether it's video or still images, I, I brought that up, and, and Rich definitely got kind of ornery about that. But, you know, the guy is entitled to his opinion. I think that he's got an incredible amount of integrity, and that's the thing I'm always looking for in people in this field, integrity, that they actually want to understand something, not just make some money on it, because that's the theme that keeps coming up, money, money, money. People want to make money on this stuff. Show me the people who aren't making money and who have a bunch of stuff to say. Let me hear them. Let me see if they're crazy or not. And if they sound fairly reasonable, then to me, they're someone to look up to. As far as cases go, um, well, that's, you know, like what uh, Royce was saying before. There's so much stuff to draw on. But I remember early on a case that I read about many years ago, the uh, Socorro, New Mexico episode. Yes. With Lonnie Zamora. Everything about that case, to me, rings fascinating. Now, in doing subsequent research, it seems like there are some theories about possible explanations for that case that I'm willing to consider. But, you know, when you've got a police officer who's describing something really amazing, at least it sounded amazing to me when I first heard about the case many years ago, I thought to myself, why would a guy in that position make something like that up? And that's, again, motivation is something I'm always looking for. What, When someone talks about something, what is their motive? What do they have to gain, and what do they have to lose? And when a police officer is talking about seeing this, this craft and seeing beings and the thing is taking off, I mean, you know, what, what would someone like that have to gain from telling that story? And I got the so, impression of Zamora, Lonnie Zamora, as being an ordinary guy. You know, he's just right. a patrolman. He wasn't somebody who was a detective or a sergeant or something. Just an ordinary guy with no axe to grind and a lot to lose about reporting his UFO experience. Really a lot to lose, and he went ahead with it. And the sightings seemed quite credible. Well, along those lines as well, when you look at the Betty and Barney Hill case, and there's a lot of controversy around that case, the thing that always occurred to me about that case was that here you had an interracial couple at a time when this was not only not common, but was really frowned upon. And this couple subjected themselves to a tremendous amount of visibility, tremendous amount of publicity. Why would they do that? Why would they make their lives even more difficult? I've always looked at the Betty and Barney Hill case as, in many ways, sort of the prototypical encounter with beings that, to me, had some good amount of credibility behind it. And, and again, you know, people have brought up legitimate problems with the case. There's been a lot of discussions, probably one of the most, one of the most discussed cases along those lines in all of UFO history, I really find it to be a fairly credible case, and I'm really curious to know what Royce and what Jeff think about the Betty and Barney Hill case specifically. Let me say one thing before you go into there, before we get the comments from our other guests. First off, the star map is something that impressed me. This star map showing a specific point and the galaxy supposedly where these beings had come from. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. 
To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. And if you want to contact us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. It could be a written message via email or even an audio message of up to 90 seconds. When you check our website at theparacast.com, you can join in our message forums or download past episodes of the show. We have a UFO roundtable today featuring Jeff Ritzman and Royce Myers III of ufowatchdog.com. So let's get... Their reactions now to Barney and Betty Hill. Royce? Well, you know, David brought up a lot of good points regarding this, is that why would a couple such as them, during that particular point in time, come forward with this crazy story? This is the early 1960s, ladies and gentlemen, by the way. What do they have to gain by that? I think David really covered everything, and as far as the story goes, it's interesting, but I really haven't done a lot of research on it to give you an opinion one way or the other. I, you know, okay. I'm not trying to cop out here. I'm just saying that I don't know much about it, so I really don't think that I should say anything else about it. Well, that's fair. That's totally fair. Jeff, what do you think about it? Uh, I think uh, I think looking at uh, at Betty's um, you know interviews through the years, I think the thing that that really rang to me was when she talked about them taking Barney's false teeth out and then coming in and, and pulling on hers and wondering why hers didn't come out like his did. I think <laughs> I think when you start talking like that, you know, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, there are things that are just too bizarre to make up. I, I don't right. think, like, some of the best minds could come up with this stuff. And I think the thing that uh, with them inserting the long needle into her into her navel and I'm pretty sure that was before any amniocentesis processes were even you know known about by the medical community I mean that was before that and I think that's uh that's an interesting point of it but I'm kind of in the same boat as Royce I haven't done a huge amount of research on it and, and that was really at the at the at the advice of a couple of people researchers that I talked to uh, way back in the day who who pretty much explicitly told me look we don't want you reading a lot of books and uh, you know on abduction experiences and um, and and possibly confusing things it, it, to which I remarked to them there's no way I could confuse what I know with <laughs> with some other story but um, I think they wanted to keep me as virgin to the whole media contamination part of it as they could but I think I think it's a really interesting story again I don't know what they would have to gain by it uh, by bringing attention to themselves in interracial marriage as as controversial as that was back then hmm. you know I I gotta say it is though possibly devoid of the extremely bizarre aspect of it. And there may have been that, but they were advised not to talk about that aspect of it. I don't know. You know, and they're both gone at this point. So I'd be real curious, you know, was there any serious high strangeness in their experiences besides the typical extraterrestrial here-to-study-us type scenario? I don't know. I mean, that would be an interesting thing to hear about. What, what kind of high strangeness do you mean? 
Well, you know, and I'm kind of hesitant to bring it up, but, you know, Willie Strieber in the beginning with writing Communion, I think back then at that point, I think he took a humongous risk to to writing that book. And in that book, I got to say, I mean, you know, he described things that I personally could completely relate to as far as the bizarre nature of of the experience itself that it's not just little little guys coming into your room and uh and diddling with you as you're sitting in bed i mean it's it's a lot weirder than that and that's something that a lot of people don't want to talk about and i think that a lot of people who go to a researcher and say this is what happened and here's every minute detail i think those researchers are telling them well you don't want to mention that because that sounds a little out there you know um you know i mean i i've had um bizarre uh what's bizarre <laughs> um why well, don't want to put you on the spot? I mean, no. I, I mean, not... the, the first thing that comes to my head is um, is that I, I was uh, I was in my living room one night and um, we had just I had won this thing in a radio contest. It was um, a Philips CDI machine, and um, uh, a CDI was like the first interactive CD type thing. You could play games on it, and you could they had an encyclopedia. It was just like a computer program, but that's you know. Beside the point, the encyclopedia, I was fascinated by how thorough it was and how deep that it got into all these uh, these topics. Anything you could enter was in this thing, and that just fascinated the hell out of me at the time. And I read, I was reading on there, and I, I just, I looked up God, the word God, G-O-D. And when I looked it up, it went into this incredible detail about how the people in the Middle East believe this and you know and and the American Indians believe this and uh, Middle America believes this and so on and so forth and then at the bottom as I'm scrolling and reading it says and Jeff thinks God is an alien and this was on the freaking screen <laughs> okay I went up to the screen I'm I'm looking at it as like I'm looking at my video monitor right now I'm looking right at it and it's there. I run down the hallway to get my wife. I said, "You got to see this." <laughs> I run back out to the living room, and it's the the CD machine is turned off, and the TV's not even on. Hmm. Okay, that's some strange stuff. That's almost like you an know? Abbott and Costello movie in a sense, like it, the comedy where where Costello says, "Abbott, look out! The monsters after me!" And Abbott <laughs> yeah. comes back into the room, and yeah. the monsters not there. He's hidden yeah, behind the door. I mean, and Whitley had talked in this in the first book about that he believed that these beings had a very very black sense of humor, a really dark, sardonic humor about them. And I was like, man, right on. <laughs> right? I can huh. totally see that. I'm totally with you on that. And, you know, there's assorted other really bizarre things like symbols that would, that would, uh, uh, that would pop into the into the room that my wife would see that I would see they'd be like on the wall you know looked like they pro projected like with a projector but you couldn't see where they were coming from what kind uh, of symbols are we talking uh, about here uh, I saw we saw one that looked subtly like um, like a fermata like a bird's eye uh, it's a musical note thing we saw one that was a simple arc with an arrow underneath of it I remember uh, at one point we saw one on the ceiling uh, in our bedroom as we were getting ready for bed one night that looked like uh, a blue symbol and a red symbol. And uh, the one was practically 
it was so complicated. I mean, it had a bunch of arrows and it had a bunch of dots and and arcs and uh, circles. It was incredibly complex. And the other one was very simple, and it appeared as a, a circle with a single dot in the middle. And they were converging together. Before they can converge completely together, they disappeared. And, and the weird part about this is is that they look like they weren't projected directly on the ceiling, but were maybe three or four inches below the ceiling. You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. If you want to contact us, send your messages to news at thepowercast.com. News at thepowercast.com. Where else? Check out our website, thepowercast.com, and our message forums where you can become an active participant. And at our site, you can also download past episodes of the show. On this episode, we're in part two of our UFO roundtable featuring Royce Myers III of UFO, watchdog.com, and Jeff Ritzman. David. You had a question. Royce, you're a critical thinker. You just heard Jeff tell about a fairly extreme experience. I'm going to put you on the spot. What did you think about what Jeff just said? When I listen to Jeff, you get that sincerity that, at least I do, of someone who is relaying a genuine experience. Now, if I was going to be very, really critical about it, I could say, well, where's your evidence? <laughs> right. and, and Jeff would say, well, I don't have any. This is just my account of things, and, you know... You look at a bunch of things with with uh, with someone who's really an experience like that. What does really what does he have to gain? I mean, we keep going back to that, but it, it's just basic. <laughs> you know, yeah. what does someone like Jeff Ritzman have to gain by this? Does he sell anything, Jeff? You sell anything? No. Books, DVDs, <laughs> no. survival guides. Not no. interested. <laughs> well, you know, when people have these experiences, and I think that's one thing about anything that's that's centered around oh, what am I looking for here anything that's centered around a phenomenon like that where you know it was just like um, going back to where I think you guys had George Knapp on the show a while back right and skinwalker ranch situation right, I've talked to George and he's you know he's really said it I think he laid it out it's like how do you prove something that you really can't record or collect mm-hmm. you can't do it right yeah. Right. And there's a concerted effort. Yeah. I mean, just talking in circles here, or does that, you know, make sense to you guys? No, that that makes perfect yeah. sense to me. I mean, that's sure. the. This is the kind of thing where, you know, so if I'm a skeptic, I say, well, maybe someone who's looking for attention tells a story and seeks to get people to listen to them. I mean, that's you know, everybody likes to be the center of attention to some extent. People like to have people listen to them. And want to hear what they have to say. And so I guess if I were a skeptic, I'd say, well, you know, Jeff tells these stories because... I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception. Because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. 
Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car, a sleep timer, an alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site, theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Right now, click on the C-Crane Sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order today. He appreciates or enjoys the attention that people give him. People have, well, no, but seriously. I've got, oh, I've yeah. got the, no, 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 but people have emailed me about some of the stories I've told on the Paracast. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I mean, I, I've been sitting on my experiences for a number of years. I haven't talked to anybody about these things for many years. A wide range of experiences that I've only mentioned a couple of them on the show. I, I've saved some of the really weird ones for at some point. Like, you know, what, what were we saying before, Jeff? You got to keep your best stuff uh, yeah. because you never know when you're going to need it. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, but I've been hesitant to talk about a lot of this stuff because I'm kind of gauging what the reaction is and, and sort of opening the kimono slowly. Not because I'm yeah. trying to save my best stuff, just because ultimately I'm trying to to not completely appear to be completely insane. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it, well, it, it's that kind know, of a self-preservation. Yeah, but you know what, Dave? It's it's one of those things that that I've told people at lectures and I've told people online before. You really, if we're to get anywhere uh, with this stuff, I think that you know, if you spill the entire load of what has gone on, I think there's more to be gained from that than to be worried about what everybody else really thinks. I mean, I've had people tell me, look, I don't believe you. I could, you know, you claim this, but yet you don't have this. I mean, there was a a thread on ATS where I talked about what I talked about here on the, on the Paracast before that uh, I ended up in Ohio for some reason at a truck stop. I grabbed a pack of matches so my dad wouldn't whoop my behind when I got home. And and somebody asked me, well, where are the matches? Where are the matches? What are you kidding me? You know, I didn't save that thing. I didn't equate any of this to being anything paranormal whatsoever. By the way, ATS, ladies and gentlemen, is above top secret dot com. It's a website with message boards on a variety of subjects. Right, and uh, you know, I mean, I've had people tell me, "Well, I caught you here because you said this, but yet here you said this." I said, "No, you didn't read what I wrote," <laughs> you know, because I live this stuff and I know what I'm talking about. And I mean, if there's nothing I know about, it's it's what I've seen and and how it went down because there are some of the most potent memories I got. And, and the point of the story is, is that if somebody writes me and says, "I don't believe what you say." I think you're crazy. I said, well, that's fine. It's not for you then. I mean, I mean, what am I supposed to do? I can't make anybody believe what I'm telling them. Right. And it really doesn't bother me. I mean, it used to kind of like freak me out a little bit when somebody would stand up at a conference and say, I think you have uh, temporal lobe epilepsy and I think you better get checked out. The first time that happened, I said, well, do you think I'm that stupid that I wouldn't get checked for everything? <laughs> Which I did. Um, you know, and uh, you know, and aside from a little anxiety, I'm pretty okay. 
Mm. Um, we all but, have anxiety uh, nowadays. That's yeah, normal. I mean, but you know, it's it's one of those things that I really I can't be worried about who believes it and who doesn't. If there's one person out there that and I've told you guys this before, I don't have this anymore. It doesn't happen anymore at all. I haven't had a UFO sighting in 10 years. I haven't seen anything bizarre around my house. Well, I told David the first time we did the Paracast, I did have something a little weird happen. But for me, it's, um, and, and I probably ruined part of my credibility by saying this, but it seems to me that whenever I get extraordinarily intense about relaying the experiences that I've had and the sightings I've had and so forth, it seems like it seems like the whatever enigmatic presence is responsible for this seems to take a particular interest. In other words, the more you talk about it, the more you're going to seem to experience things. And you don't have to be looking for them. It's not like you're that little kid in the, in the dark that's worried about hearing the bump and any little knock you hear is a ghost. Okay, it doesn't work like that. It just seems to be that the more time you devote to reliving these experiences, then the more you seem to get at the least expectation of it. I didn't expect anything to happen after I did the first show. But when I woke up in the middle of the night and I got up to go to the bathroom and I got a, a, a glass of orange juice, watched TV for about five or ten minutes, came back in, laid back down. When I opened my eyes, there was a small, about the size of a little Super Bowl, like a, a glowing red ball, in, right in front of my face. Uh, when I opened my eyes, it shot away from me, and I never saw where it went. Can I prove that? No. How the hell am I going to prove that? Did it happen? I'm pretty sure. Could it have been hypnagogic hallucinations? It could have been. But I kind of chalk it up to, well, I just talked to two guys for a little over an hour, and David probably that week a hell of a lot more yeah. uh, about what I'd seen and experienced over the years. And I'm reliving that because I cannot forget the most minute thing about it, down to how I felt to how everything smelled. I mean, you got to go in that kind of detail. If you don't, then you're potentially missing something that could click with someone else. And that's always been my, my thing is, you know, if you don't believe it, that's fine. If somebody out there is going through what I went through for, for you know, that period of about all my life, but intensely for about five or six years, it got truly bizarre, then they can grab that, you know. They can grab that and go, okay, I'm not a nut job because this guy sounds all right and it's over for him. <laughs> so if it helps one person to recognize that that they're not crazy, that these things can occur and they can perceive these things, then that's okay by me. If you don't believe it, that's fine. i got to be worried about the people who are, <laughs> and they will immediately recognize what I'm talking. They will immediately recognize what I'm talking about. It clicks instantly when it's the real thing. And when I read Whitley Strieber's first book, it smacked me in the face. I mean, that was just like, holy mackerel, he's going into all this bizarre stuff. And I think he was really being brutally honest. And, you know, in recent years, I think he has, sir, in my opinion, he has succumbed to the public demand for sensationalism, for, you know, I'm glad to see Mercer recently kind of turned it into a fictional book. But, um, you know, I think he's, over the years, he's had to keep people interested.
We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. This is UFO Magazine, and I'm Bill Burns, the publisher, and here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFOMAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. And they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA. And they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietany. If you want to contact us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com or visit our website, theparacast.com, where you can check out our message boards, participate, check out past episodes of the show, all that stuff. This is our UFO roundtable. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We're focusing on the good, or at least the stuff that we all think has a strong possibility of being real. With Royce Myers III of UFOWatchdog.com and Jeff Ritzman, UFO investigator. Royce, you've been listening rather quietly there. Do you have any personal experiences that you could tell us about? Not, well, I can tell you what got me started on this whole thing was I was coming home from coffee with a friend of mine late one night, and we were going back to his place to watch him boxing. And on our way there, this, this happened down in southern Oregon, on our way there we got stopped at a red light, and this red light just seemed to last forever. And it was very strange, and I thought a couple times about running it, and then knew very well that the second I, I ran that light, I'd be getting pulled over. There'd be some, <laughs> you know, a police officer sitting in an alley somewhere to see it. And so I just thought, oh, I'll just sit here. It's going to turn green soon enough. So I, so, I, so I turned to my right. I was driving, and I had my friend on the front seat, and I was talking to him. And he looked over at something and then looked back up and said, what the is that? And I looked up, and over this building was a rather large cylinder object with two lights on one end and one light on the other. And at first, this is in March of 94, and at first when I had seen it, I thought it was a helicopter. And so what I did was, uh, I was driving a, a Fury at the time, pretty, pretty quick car. I turned the engine off and I rolled down the window and I stuck my head out and I couldn't hear anything because I kept saying to myself, it's a helicopter, I'm just not you know, perceiving it correctly. Well, then what happened was this thing lifted up you know, it's like if you put a pencil between your fingers, your two index fingers, and you lift it up, and it shoots off at an angle, and as it's going, it does this 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 rotating motion, full body rotation, and shoots off. And we were just flabbergasted. This old, we just couldn't believe what was going on. And so what I did was, 
I turned the car on, and I got on the highway, and I got up to about 105 miles an hour in this car, <laughs> trying to keep up with this thing. At one point, I almost wrecked this. And it shot off into the distance, and there was almost this, um, I don't know how to quite describe it, this big flash. It was like a camera flash, and this thing was gone. And it had shot out towards uh, an air base, the military air base where, where I was living at the time. Not the base, but the base was in the town they lived at. And so I had gone out there the next day and inquired about it, and they were like, no, but you know, we don't have any any reports of anything odd flying around. And so my friend and I, you know, we'd shared we'd shared this uh, this thing that we'd seen with a couple of friends of ours. And of course, we got snickered at and laughed. And uh, you know, a couple of my friends were cool about it and said, "Oh, hey, you know, we believe you." Da da da. And so about two weeks later, I was getting ready to move up north, and I was walking home at about three o'clock in the morning from my job at the time. And as I walked, I could see this thing, an identical object just like the one I had seen the two weeks prior to that, floating across the sky. And it just went off in the distance, and I was like, well, <laughs> you know, well, what do you do when you see something like that? You just kind of catalog and go, wow, that was interesting. So from there, I started reading, you know, UFO books, and, you know, it's kind of the cliche UFO story. I saw something and got interested. And I've also had, had, uh, I had another sighting when I, was, uh, when I was working for the United States Forest Service, a friend of mine uh, who was working up there at the time with me, and we later wound up working working together in another department, were outside, and he had a uh, he had a he had one of those uh, night vision scopes, and I had a Sony uh, uh, Handycam with me that had the night shot on it, and I thought it was interesting because you know when when you look at something else with infrared that's infrared as well, it looks like a flashlight, and so we were sitting there screwing around with the video camera, we got to talking, and um, as we we're talking, this really large round object flew over our heads and it came into a it came through uh, some trees and it was above the trees and we watched it and it was pulsing slowly the whole time i had this video camera in my hands and we were just awestruck by watching this thing and it floated off and he said that wasn't a plane and we just looked at the sky for a few minutes kind of mystified about this whole thing and this entire time it hit this video camera in my hands never occurred never, to you never occurred to me oh. not once and i've seen a couple other pretty pretty bizarre things but as, as far as personal experiences go like that's you know, a personal experience man you know well as far as maybe some of the long lines of jeff i've never had anything like that happen to me that you know of <laughs> Playing devil's advocate. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a question though? Before the before the round object showed up, what were you talking about? As far as talking about something, I really don't recall exactly what we were talking about. I think we were talking about uh, my camera and a couple other kind of techie things. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because um, you know it's it's not dissimilar to what I related to David a while back about some friends of mine and I going up to a really high area to look at uh, the Hale-Bopp comet at the time. That was like the thing to look at, and uh, we got up there, and and one of my friends who I had spilled to about everything was with me, and the other guy that was with me had no idea about it, and. Uh, and we got to talking. I mean, it, it came up actually. This the subject came up from the guy who didn't know anything about my own experiences uh, in this area, and uh, he started thinking about, hey, "You think anybody's out there?" And this, that, and the other. And the conversation just turned to that. And when it did, it was about maybe I don't know, ten minutes of talking about it. That um, the one friend of mine who who was aware of my experiences turned incredibly white and began to point between me and a guy named John 
as if he was seeing something. And we just thought he was fooling around with us. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hey, man, cut it out. Don't fool around, you know. But he, he claimed that he saw a very large, very large uh, triangular-shaped something that was black. It was blotting out stars beyond a tree line. So uh, John and I walked to the, the end of a long driveway that we, where we were. And uh, as we got to the end, he says to me, do you think he's screwing around with us? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> who knows up here. You know, it's been I have seen some weird stuff up here. And about that time, we heard my other friend was up uh, by my by my pickup truck at the time. And uh, he was screaming so loud that his voice was breaking. And uh, every obscenity that you could possibly imagine was coming out of his mouth like water, uh, to which me and John spun around and saw uh, a very bright, large bank of lights around the back end of a boomerang-shaped craft and some small blue lights along the front. John actually had a spotlighter uh, in his hand uh, and shone it up onto this thing, to which I asked him if he was, I think my exact words were, are you effing insane? And I hit the light down, but before I could, he had a spotlighter on him that was, uh, you know, the battery-powered, you know, very, very bright spotlight. And, and he shone it right on where this craft would have, would be, you know, if this was a solid object. And, and it was. It was solid. It was black. And it seemed to be like a matte black color. Um, you could see just a very light sheen on it, kind of like a, like a shark skin type look to it, you know. And, and I have to wonder, I mean, going back to the whole thing about the more attention you pay, the more it seems to gravitate. Uh, you know, I have to wonder if we hadn't got into that subject that night, would have would that have happened? I don't know, but I find it odd that, you know, uh, any time that um, that you seem to be talking about this subject and all of a sudden something seems to happen and you really are not expecting it, you know, which is why I asked Royce, you know, were you talking about, you know, anything of uh, of a UFO nature at the time or or life out there or anything like that? Sending out an invitation, maybe. Uh, you know, I don't know how that works. I'm not. I'm not exactly prepared to say that you can call these kind of things, but it does seem a little bit a weird coincidence sometimes of of how things seem to work. You know. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night where it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site, theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com right now. Click on the C-Crane Sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order today. 
entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Let me tell so, our listeners, you're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. And if you want to get in touch with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com, news at theparacast.com. When you visit our website at theparacast.com, you can join in our message forums or download past episodes. We have a UFO roundtable today, the good, the bad, and the ugly, focusing on the good, the compelling, the incredible right now, with Royce Myers III of UFOwatchdog.com and Jeff Ritzman, UFO investigator. David, I know you've been quiet. Do you have a question? Well, I'm just thinking, you, you listen to all of this stuff, and you listen to what we've talked about tonight, and I, I imagine our listeners are wondering about the same thing I am. Is, is this field going to ever get to a point of resolution? Are we going to ever, in our lifetimes, really understand what this is about, or is this just going to continue to be this total mystery and to me at this point it, it seems like this is really for the most part still completely a mystery we don't really understand what's going on here what do you guys think about the possibility that we'll arrive at any understanding of this in the next n number of years in our lifetimes you think there's a possibility for this i think the last time that i was here with you guys i said no and, you know, my opinion on that uh, question changes, you know, from week to week, month to month, event to event, sure. you know, and I really just, I'm just going to have to go with I don't have an answer. You know, there's a mm. lot of a lot of hokey pokey sleight of hand stuff happening in this field with uh, showmen and leeches and, uh, you know, promoters and publicists and whatever else who want to promote their books and their tapes and whatever else. And... Is there a way to stop it? I don't think you can. I just think it's part of it. I think the best that we can hope for is to continue doing what, you know, at least what I do, and that is educating folks on what's going on out there. Educate them on the UFO leeches out there. Educate them on the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever you'd like to call it. And uh, I, I think that's about all we can do, and we can just keep striving for that, you know, that 2% that's out there and keep taking a look at that and hopefully come up with something. Jeff? No, I don't, I don't think that... Uh... I don't think we're ever going to find out what it is because I don't think there is an answer to it. Um, you know, that's just strictly my opinion. I, I think it's I think it's a question with no answer, and that's really the kind of the point. That's my best guess. I'm not saying that as gospel or anything, but sure. You know, from where I stand right now, that's kind of like my best guess at it. I think probably you know as far as the field itself, I think Royce has done probably the most service to this field in like years by doing UFO Watchdog because it is it is the place where people are held accountable and there is no accountability in this field whatsoever as far as I'm concerned, you know. Um Kevin Randall said in a, a CNN uh story here a while back that you know we're we're stagnated in this in this whole UFO research thing. Nobody's doing anything new that basically we're we're um we have to relive all the trash of the past over and over and over as these cases that you know we've talked about partially tonight that, that are well to be proven as hoaxes or or even misidentifications are trotted out for the public over and over and over for whatever purpose be it money or um or or just somebody's need for attention you know and he's right i mean there's no accountability uh, uh you know i, I could uh 
I could shoot shoot fake UFO pictures tomorrow and put them on the web, and uh, you know half of the public's going to believe it, and half of them aren't. I'm not worried about the half that aren't. I'm only worried about the half that does. Got and I could build about any, that. Yeah. Yeah. I could build a religion, or I could build any kind of following I want off fake pictures, and I could be proven to be a hoax countless times. And I could go away for a couple of years, and I could come back with more stuff. And these people who really des- desperately want to believe, they'll still buy it. They'll still listen to whatever I would have to say. Well, some people you know? still believe that O.J. Simpson is innocent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, man. Oh, God. You know, I mean, that's that's the thing. And Royce has provided this, this tool by which people can be held accountable. And, uh, you know... That's something that I had mentioned on uh, on countless boards that there's no accountability, and if we're ever to get anybody to be accountable, there's going to have to be a database where these, you know, misgivings and misplaced trusts and uh, and lies and frauds are just totally outright exposed and done so so documentally, you know, factual that they can't be denied. And that's what essentially Royce has done with UFO watchdogs. So I mean, that's that's the place, as far as I'm concerned. To uh, if you if you got a question about anybody, <laughs> go there first. You know, see if well, they're on the hot anybody. list or the hit list, and, and you'll find out. It gets to be very confusing. You know, a couple of weeks back we had Tim Beckley on the show, and Tim said he doesn't think the UFO mystery will be solved by UFO investigators. He thinks it'll be solved by the force behind the UFOs. Should they decide to say, here we are take me to your leader or the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, whatever is in power at those particular times or somebody in Saudi Arabia. We don't know. But whoever's in charge, take us to them. And that's it. He doesn't think that anything we do will ever accomplish anything, unfortunately. Yeah, I think he's right. It is unfortunate. And, you know, again, I think the only thing you can do is just strive for credibility and uh, expose those that are dipping their hand in the cookie jar. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm like, I'm like one guy. I, you know, my website, in, in the scheme of things, I think it's a little, it's it's just a little corner in the internet where people can go and browse and, you know, but it's really up to those people that come browsing either on my site or other sites that look for answers. It's up to them to really put on their thinking caps and mm-hmm. to do their own research and their own investigations and come to conclusions. I'm not the, I'm not the be all in all for, you know, opinions on UFO personalities or whatever else. I'm not the final word, but if people would just do that, and stick to their guns and keep looking forward and trying to get away from this trash, I think we could we could start to get somewhere, I think. <laughs> well, we yeah. make an effort yeah. on the I mean, show. I yes. mean, yeah, I mean, you may not be the end all to be all, Royce, but I'll tell you one thing. It it can, there are angles to, to checking somebody out or checking their story out that people don't even think about. I mean, you know, and and you've shown that. There are ways to find out things, and there are ways to look at this that you know may give you a complete 180 on the way you perceive a certain case or a certain person's information. I mean, that's that's something that really no one's done. And if one if somebody comes there looking for something on Jonathan Reed, you know, they don't know any of this stuff. I mean, because you know, a lot of stuff is just oh well, let me see this, and they can take what you give them and go check it out themselves and that's all i ever tell anybody to do is mm. you know, course, even you know billy meyer included you know you don't believe me do it yourself it, you'll come to the same end and i'm confident enough you know to to say that and use a little common sense along the way the problem is of course the google 
doesn't <laughs> differentiate <laughs> between factual information <laughs> right. and fanciful information. Boy, this has been some kind of session, I'll tell you. UFOs, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I try to remain ever optimistic. I know David is too, which is one of the reasons why he joined with me to do this program. But we have to thank the great work done by Jeff Ritzman and Royce Myers III. Royce, of course, has the site UFOWatchdog.com, and he's got the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Shame. It's a place where you should go to find out more information. And we're going to explore a lot more of these topics and a lot more of the ramifications on future episodes of the Paracast. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in the Paracast.